0: It's been three years since Sir Keir Starmer took over as Labour leader. And last week, to prove how much he'd changed the party, he very publicly turned his back on his predecessor, pulling up the drawbridge to prevent his return.
1: In the last few minutes, we've learned that uh, Jeremy Corbyn is going to be blocked from standing as a Labour MP at the next general election. The Labour leader Sir Keir Starmer is apparently going to be confirming that later on today.
0: Labour's governing body has banned Jeremy Corbyn from standing as a candidate for the party
1: at the next election. It is now official. Labour has decided uh, to prevent Jeremy Corbyn from running as an MP or standing as an MP at the next uh, election. That vote being taken by Labour's National Executive uh, Committee.
0: Jeremy Corbyn had already had the Labour whip removed, but now... There's no hope of a return to the Labour benches, or at least not while Keir Starmer's in charge. But just how long will that last? And will Starmer be able to bring the left of the party with him?
2: Jeremy Corbyn was the reaction to Blairism. Keir Starmer is now proving to be the reaction to Corbynism. And you wonder whether, if the hard left do not misjudge this, there will be an equal and opposite reaction to Starmerism, come what may.
0: You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times, I'm Manveen Rana. Today, is Starmer vulnerable to a Corbynite comeback?
2: Right, perfect. Just checking that's picking me up. Yeah, that is. So I'm ready to go. Perfect. Hi, Manveen. Patrick, it's
0: good to see you. How are you? Great, thanks. That's a very chirpy Patrick Maguire, the red box editor at The Times, where he writes a daily Westminster newsletter. And Patrick's specific area of expertise is...
2: The Labour Party labour movement and left-wing politics. I wrote a book on Jeremy Corbyn's leadership, the fall of Jeremy Corbyn, from his peak in 2017 and the an divide within his team. It's called Left Out. And I also write a fortnightly column on labour politics and much else besides for the Times.
0: So what did he make of the tectonic shift in labour politics last week? And where was he when he heard the news that Jeremy Corbyn wouldn't be allowed to run for labour at the next election?
2: Well, I think as ever in Westminster journalism, I was coming out of a lunch, a good long lunch with a useful contact.
0: A lot to be said for Westminster journalism.
2: Yeah, exactly, exactly. (laughs) Everything interesting happens when you're at lunch. Anyway, you come out, your phone is backed up with lots of notifications. And I saw that Keir Starmer had submitted a motion to the National Executive Committee of the Labour Party, the ruling body of the Labour Party, which he has total control of Keir Starmer. He submitted a motion to that body saying, I'm barring Jeremy Corbyn as a Labour candidate at the next election on the grounds that he lost very badly in 2019. And having him on the ballot paper would be a drag on our ticket. And that's exactly what they duly did the next day by 22 votes to 12. The National Executive Committee of the Labour Party banned Jeremy Corbyn from standing at the next election. And it's worth saying that is basically unprecedented in the history of British politics. Yes, a Labour leader has been expelled from the party before, Ramsay MacDonald, who formed a national government with the Tories in 1931. But no Labour leader or mainstream party leader has ever been expelled just because the party has changed political direction.
0: I mean, a lot of people have been looking at Keir Starmer's progress as party leader. A lot of people have been comparing him Tony Blair and where Tony Blair was at this point before the election when he came in and trying to work out if Keir Starmer has done enough, if he's bringing the country with him. Is this effectively, for Sir Keir Starmer, is this his Clause 4 moment? Tony Blair, he had this big moment where he could sort of separate new Labour from old Labour. Firstly, just remind us of of exactly what that Clause 4 moment was and why it was so important. And then tell us whether you think this is comparable.
2: Clause 4 of the Labour Party's constitution originally read, it was written by the Webbs, the left-wing Fabian high society couple who also founded the New Statesman, and it promised to secure for the workers by hand or by brain the, the full control of the fruits of their industry or something similar. I should be able to quote it, but Tony Blair it's is successfully expunged that. You are a Labour
0: historian.
2: <laughs> Hang on, let me let me look it up. I think I nailed it. I think I nailed it. Um,
0: <laughs> I like that. I like that New Labour has completely expunged it.
2: Yes, here we are. To secure for the workers by hand or by brain the full fruits of their industry and the most equitable distribution thereof that may be possible upon the basis of common ownership of the means of production, distribution and exchange and the best obtainable system of popular administration and control of each industry or service. So I think you can forgive me for not (laughs) nailing the second half of that because that is quite chewy. But basically, it's a full-throated endorsement of a socialist, socialized, fully nationalized economy. It's the language of class war, and it's very ideological. By Tony Blair's leadership, this becomes the big preoccupation of Labour's revisionist, modernizing wing. We need to demonstrate that we are no longer the party of trade unionism and full-throated socialism. We are a moderate, mainstream, social democratic party. Tony Blair rewrote, clause for, there's none of that language about common ownership, securing for the workers the fruits of their industry by hand or by brain. You got that past the party and it was the moment New Labour's sort of year zero approach began there. And it's absolutely right to say that for Keir Starmer, Jeremy Corbyn's presence in the Labour Party has become a similar thing, right? It's about demonstrating that, okay, we were discredited in in the eyes of the electorate. How do we earn back their trust. Well, we have to draw a line under 2015 to 2020, Jeremy Corbyn's leadership. It is analogous to clause four in that respect. And it's significant, by the way, that around Keir Starmer are lots of people who worked for Tony Blair, who worked for Gordon Brown, the architects of that new Labour project. Hmm. So there is a lot of conscious and unconscious imitation of what happened in the 90s happening now.
0: A bit about the two central characters in this struggle because you've met them both. What are they like as people? Tell us firstly about Zakir Starmer.
2: A lot of people who know Keir Starmer sort of are slightly baffled and frustrated that his public persona is so stiff and undemonstrative and unprepossessing. They're like, this isn't the Keir we know and love. Keir loves talking about football. He likes a beer. He cracks a joke. He's got a great sense of fun. When you meet him in private, you know, you get flashes of the the warm and witty and friendly bloke. But I think what he has is a slight stiffness around journalists. And I think that's because some people say the intensity of media scrutiny that comes with being leader of the Labour Party has sort of taken him by surprise. That's another thing he sort of has in common with Jeremy Corbyn, mm. who... When he was elected as Labour leader, it was partly because his colleagues were happy to nominate him because Jeremy was Jeremy. He was a perfectly amiable, affable bloke, totally normal guy, wouldn't hurt a fly. That was very much his reputation in the parliamentary party, as opposed to, say, other people on the left, like John MacDonald, who are always very strident and confrontational. Jeremy Corbyn, you know, the perception was he wouldn't say boot to a goose. But the experience of his leadership of the Labour Party has left him... Even his friends say this, very crotchety, very contemptuous of the media. You saw this when he was outside Parliament the other day, asked about his intentions for the future, and he was literally barking, thank you very much, repeatedly at a a Sky News journalist.
0: Can we just very quickly ask you if you're thinking of standing as an independent, Mr Corbyn? Thank you very much. I'm going to the demonstration
1: against the immigration bill, and I suggest you report that too. We
0: are reporting it. Well, good. It will take I 10 seconds. you
1: minister, what I have to say. Can I just ask I'd you for... I seeing you over there. Thank you very much. I just want
0: to talk to you for 10 seconds about your Thank- future as a Labour Thank MP. you very much.
2: They are sort of both slightly unknowable mm. figures in public and private. Keir Starmer definitely more open and warmer and blokey, whereas Jeremy Corbyn, always slightly idiosyncratic, now a much more difficult figure, even his friends would say that.
0: That's so interesting. He has transformed. And take us back to why Sir Keir Starmer has said that he's he's doing this. Optics aside, apart from sort of modernising the party and being seen very visibly to sort of shed the old version of Labour by dumping Jeremy Corbyn as a candidate at the next election, what are his official reasons?
2: I'll rattle through this very quickly because it's quite a long story. October Mm -hmm. 2020, the Labour Party receives a report by the Equality and Human Rights Commission. They're only the second British political party to be investigated by Britain's equalities watchdog after the British National Mm -hmm. Party. And the EHRC had a brief to investigate whether Labour had breached equalities law over its handling of anti-Semitism cases in the Labour Party. They concluded, yes, Labour has a case to answer it, has breached equality's law. Now, Jeremy Corbyn, obviously, as the leader during that period, as the leader under whom that investigation was launched, as the leader who faced lots of criticism for his handling of anti-Semitism, and indeed was blamed by many people for Labour's anti-Semitism crisis, releases a statement in which he says, yes, this is terrible, but, and these were the crucial words, He said, one anti-Semite is too many, but the scale of anti-Semitism in the Labour Party was dramatically overstated by our political opponents to undermine me.
1: One anti-Semite in the party is one anti-Semite too many. And uh, when I became leader of the party, some complaints were received. I asked Shami Chakrabarti to undertake a review of all this, which she did. She made a number of recommendations on processes which were not implemented quickly enough Uh, Under Jenny Formby's uh, period as General Secretary in 2018, much more progress was made very quickly. But the numbers have been uh, exaggerated, in
2: my view. Keir Starmer reads that line on that day in late October 2020 and does what lots of people, including me, I never thought he would do this. He suspends Jeremy Corbyn from the Labour Party and the Labour whip. So, at a stroke... Jeremy Corbyn is no longer a member of the Labour Party or a Labour MP. And he says, look, Jeremy Corbyn has got to apologise at a bare minimum, withdraw that statement that and the Labour Party was ex- exaggerated for political purposes. And then we can talk about letting him back in. Now, he's suspended for three months. During that period, allies of Jeremy Corbyn meet allies of Keir Starmer. They sort of, they think agree on a form of words where Jeremy Corbyn can clarify it. Jeremy Corbyn duly does that. Jeremy Corbyn is readmitted to Labour Party membership. But then Keir Starmer reneges on that agreement, suspends him from the whip again. And since then, there's been a long standoff between both Jeremy Corbyn and Keir Starmer. And over the course of the next two years, so we're two years on from Keir Starmer resuspending Jeremy Corbyn from the Labour whip. What else happens? You have Ukraine. We know Jeremy Corbyn is a outspoken critic of Western foreign policy. So mm. All of a sudden, that becomes a much more salient issue in British politics. The Tories are pointing at the Labour Party and saying, well, hang on, you've got an ex-leader who would have gladly supported the Kremlin. At least we believe that. And so Keir Starmer again faces pressure to define himself against Jeremy Corbyn. And then by 2023, you're basically in a position where Keir Starmer and people around Keir Starmer have concluded that they can't win the next election with Jeremy Corbyn on the Labour ticket at all.
1: Uh, Jeremy Corbyn will not stand for Labour at the next general election as a Labour Party candidate. Uh, what I said about the party changing, I meant, and we are not going back.
2: Which is how you find yourself reading a resolution to the National Executive Committee of the Labour Party, which doesn't even mention the anti-Semitism issue, doesn't even mention mm. the Equality and Human Rights Commission's report into anti-Semitism the Labour Party. It just says... Essentially, Jeremy Corbyn is so unpopular, we don't want to run him as a Labour candidate. So over the two years, over the three, almost three years, it goes from a very specific issue about one thing Jeremy Corbyn has said about anti-Semitism to an entire clash, a, very more, a much more fundamental clash of Labour Party worldviews.
0: That's so interesting. And a lot of the distance that seems to have grown between them it does seem to come down to foreign policy you recently wrote a column about why you think Sir Keir Starmer's hardline stance on Corbyn and Corbyn supporters might actually be a mistake.
2: The Labour Party, like many parties, is a broad coalition of interests. And what the Labour leadership is trying to do is signal that Jeremy Corbyn's politics have no place in the Labour Party. That's an electoral calculation, but it's also an ideologically motivated thing on the part of the people around Keir Starmer. Now, how do you find Corbynite politics? It all flows from the sort of anti, anti-imperialist foreign policy and left-wing, conventionally left-wing economics, nationalisation, basically everything Jeremy Corbyn stands for. Keir Starmer is very keen to say he doesn't stand for. The problem is, Jeremy Corbyn is not the only MP in the Labour Party, in the Parliamentary Labour Party, who stands for that sort of thing. There are 33 MPs in what is called the Socialist Campaign Group, which is a caucus of left-wing Labour MPs established by Tony Benn in the 80s that is essentially the organised... Left of the Labour Party in Parliament. Now, Keir Starmer hasn't and can't, and almost certainly won't get rid of all 33 of those MPs. Some of them are retiring, but they still have a foothold in the party. Short of expelling them all, they will still be there. And should Keir Starmer win the next election with a anything less than a majority of, say, 30, which, as the polls narrow, as Labour people constantly tell me they're not being complacent, the polls will probably narrow, then all of a sudden, the left still have a foothold in the party and they retain a degree of influence. Keir Starmer is saying, well, we kicked out Jeremy Corbyn. Those days are gone. When actually, Mm. in Parliament, you have the Socialist Campaign Group and the trade unions... This isn't a sort of reds under the bed thing. There are avowed communists on the executives of many trade unions, as you'd expect in organized labor. The hard left, who Keir Starmer is talking about as if they're gone forever, still have a foothold in the party, and that was true under Tony Blair, and look what happened. Then we got Jeremy Corbyn. If Keir Starmer, his bite isn't as bad as his bark when it comes to purging the left, then he'll soon find that the left haven't gone away.
0: Coming up... Has the hard left of the party gone away? How are Jeremy Corbyn's supporters reacting to the move? That's in just a moment. And a lot has changed in his rhetoric since he took over.
2: Keir Starmer ran for the Labour leadership in 2020. He said two things. We're not going to trash the record of the Labour government, but also I recognise that the Labour Party has changed. Jeremy Corbyn sort of restored the soul of our movement and he's energised our movement. That's what he said on the day he won the Labour leadership. And let's not oversteer from the anti-austerity economic radicalism of that period. Now, in the three years since, Keir Starmer's team has had an influx of hardcore Blairites. There's essentially been a Blairite takeover of Keir Starmer's office. You know, it's a remarkable transformation, actually, when you compare the Keir Starmer 2020. He's talking about unifying the party and saying Jeremy Corbyn is a friend and that he's really done good things for the Labour parties.
1: It is the honour and the privilege of my life to be elected as leader of the Labour Party. It comes at a moment like none other in our lifetime. I want to pay tribute to Jeremy Corbyn, who led our party through some really difficult times, who energised our movement, and who's a friend as well
2: as a colleague. Keir Starmer, who now kicks him out without ceremony and essentially says he's the worst thing to have ever happened to the party. Well, why has that happened? It's effectively because the Blairites have taken over the asylum, as it were, and Keir Starmer really wants to win. He's a very competitive person, and he's made a strategic judgment that he can, if he listens to these people, he can be prime minister. And he now emphasizes, I'm a great believer in in Blairism and winning elections basically at any cost. And also, you know, when I was a lawyer, I was in the business of banging up terrorists and violent criminals as director of public prosecutions. He's rewritten his own history, as so often happens in the the Labour Party.
1: The Labour Party is unrecognisable from 2019 and it will never go back. It will never again be a party captured by narrow interest. It will never again lose sight of its purpose or its morals. And it will never again be brought to its knees by racism or bigotry. If you don't like that, if you don't like the changes that we've made, I say the door is open And you can leave.
0: Patrick, since that announcement that Jeremy Corbyn won't be allowed to stand as a Labour MP at the next election, what's the fallout been? What's the reaction been within the party?
2: Well, on one side of the argument, basically unbridled glee among Keir Starmer and his supporters, they say, well, look, this proves that this debate is over within the Labour Party now. Jeremy Corbyn is not coming back. And that poses a question for the campaign group of Labour MPs who I was talking about earlier. The Labour Party rulebook has a rule. If you are a Labour Party member or MP and you support a candidate who runs against the Labour Party, you're automatically Kicked out of the Labour Party. There is no right of appeal. You are auto excluded. This was last used, this rule, when people like Alastair Campbell and others said they voted for the Lib Dems in the 2019 Mm -hmm. European elections. They're all kicked out automatically. Mm. I revealed that Jeremy Corbyn will run as an independent candidate now in Islington North, the seat he's represented for 40 years since 1983. That's his intention now. If you are from the Corbynite wing of the Labour Party and you're not entirely comfortable with what Keir Starmer is doing, you think Keir Starmer has declared war on the left. What better confirmation of that, what more conclusive confirmation of that than Keir Starmer kicking Jeremy Corbyn out of the Labour Party without even mentioning the pretext on which he suspended him three years earlier. You basically think to yourself, well, hang on, the leader of our movement has been kicked out of the party, but I would like to stay in the Labour Party ideally because I think under a Labour government, if Keir has a narrow majority, we can wield influence over the direction of the government. I think that Keir Starmer will disappoint the members and we could win back control of the party. But, but hang on, Jeremy is running as an independent in Islington North and I'd ideally like to uh, support him. W- what do I do? So that's why you have people like John McDonnell and Diane Abbott, Jeremy's oldest friends in politics.
1: I think the, the pigeons in the trees at Westminster and in Islington know that Jeremy Corbyn is going to now stand as an independent candidate, isn't he? That's a decision for Jeremy. I'm hoping, I'm still hoping we might be able to get this decision
2: reversed. They're saying, well, look, I think this is the wrong decision, but they're not going as far as to say, this is the wrong decision. Keir Starmer should overturn it. And of course, I'll be on the barricades for Jeremy Corbyn in Islington North. You're uh-huh. not hearing that. John Landsman, the founder of Momentum, another veteran of the Labour Party civil wars, has been on the same side as Jeremy Corbyn in lots of these arguments. He was asked, you know, will you be going campaigning for Jeremy Corbyn in Islington North when he runs as an independent? And he said, and I was in the studio. I was, I was both unsurprised and shocked by how starkly he put it. If he, if he does stand as an independent, would you go out and campaign for him?
1: No, I certainly wouldn't. I want to see Keir Starmer elected as uh, prime minister of this country. Uh, we need a Labour government. Uh, I don't think he should stand as an independent. I think it would be a big mistake.
2: He said, no, I certainly will not, because effectively the Labour leadership has laid a massive trap For the left-wing activists and MPs, it would ideally like to see out of the party. They've dared Jeremy Corbyn to run as an independent, which he will. I'm told he definitely will. The left faces a choice. Does it, in the short term, support the man who won won the Labour leadership, who they see as having endured an onslaught of attacks from a hostile Labour party for MPs and the press, bore that burden for so long? Or do they effectively abandon him with one eye on the future. And it's really difficult. But the early signs are that people like John McDonnell and John Lansman, the great strategists of the Labour left, see the elephant trap and they're determined not to walk into it.
0: So interesting. I mean, in a way, that does make it look like, you know, Keir Starmer, through this little mechanism, is able to control how vocal they are about Corbynism and about supporting Jeremy Corbyn directly. Is he going to be able to control them as a faction within the party later on?
2: Well, look. I mean, if he wins a massive majority and his majority is bigger than the number of Corbyn MPs in the parliamentary party, then great. You know, who ca- like who? Ca- you know, he's in a similar position to Tony Blair was. Who cares? I've got plenty of willing allies in Parliament who can vote this through. If he wins a tiny majority or doesn't win a majority at all, but is in a hung Parliament, I see a situation where effectively he might end up having to negotiate with his own MPs to. Be sure of passing a Queen's speech and a budget. This is where this is a scenario in which John McDonnell could be coming out of in and out of Number Ten, like Steve Baker, the organising godfather of the Tory right. All of a sudden, these MPs, their votes are worth as much as everybody else's. Indeed, they're worth more because they're the difference between a parliamentary majority and you know Labour not being able to get anything through at all. So that's the most dangerous scenario, and that's something. When I wrote this column in the Times saying Starmer is still vulnerable if you squint to a Corbynite comeback, I got messages from people saying, you're absolutely right. We should have kicked these people out when we had the chance. Wow. And now we've probably left it too late. So Um,
1: the answer to the question is, is, will you be hoping those MPs uh, won't stand? If they do, will you support them? Well, look, those MPs withdrew their signatures. They did it within an hour of me saying that that's what they should be doing, or the chief whip saying that's what they should be doing.
2: He had a chance to kick all of these people out at a stroke. Let's not forget that. In February 2022, when 11 Labour MPs signed a statement by the Stop the War Coalition, criticising NATO expansionism, effectively blaming them for the war in Ukraine, for Putin's invasion of Ukraine. Yeah. Yeah. Jamie Corn was among them. John McDonnell was among them. Richard Bergen was among them. All the sort of, Diane Abbott was among them. 11 MPs, all representing pretty safe seats. And Labour's chief whip, Alan Campbell said, you're all going to withdraw your signatures or I'm going to, I'm going to kick you out of the party. You're going to lose the Labour whip and you won't be able to stand as candidates at the next election. And they all duly withdrew their signatures from that letter. And now people uh. rue that day. They said, why didn't we just kick them out? There and then, why did we give them the chance? Because we gave them an ultimatum, a final warning, and they've all behaved themselves since then. Only time will tell whether Keir Starmer can win a big enough majority to to put them to bed forever. But the hard left, the left of the Labour Party, is nothing but patient. They're they're very good at playing a very, very long game. You could look at sort of any number of dates in Labour Party history. Clause Four in the nineties, moments when the hard left appeared to have been beaten, when the modernising faction appeared to have won the argument. And then then they, they, they come back. Jeremy, Jeremy Corbyn happened. Jeremy Corbyn was the reaction to Blairism. Keir Starmer is now proving to be the reaction to Corbynism. And you wonder whether if the hard left do not misjudge this, there will be an equal and opposite reaction to Starmerism, come what may. It's going to be a very, very interesting long game.
0: And Patrick, as a, a close Labour watcher, how much of this do you think for Keir Starmer is personal?
2: It's a really good question. Another aspect of Keir Starmer's personality that often goes overlooked, but those who know him do point this out, is that he bears grudges, like a bit like Jeremy Corbyn. He, he has a sort of elephantine memory and capacity for, for grudges. If he feels slighted, decent is a word you hear used to describe Keir Starmer a lot. And so Keir Starmer doesn't suffer people he sees as fools or disloyal. Jeremy Corbyn's supporters do think this has become personal. They think this is Keir Starmer attacking Jeremy Corbyn to make a to win a political argument. This is now a personal argument as much as anything else. It's about which of the two men is going to be vindicated, which is the custodian of true Labour values, and the Labour Party is of course split on that question as it always has been. <laughs> This is a very personal battle for Jeremy Corbyn, but also for Keir Starmer, because he has staked his entire leadership and political strategy on being vindicated in this argument over Corbynism, which wasn't the position he took at the start of his leadership. He has staked everything. His entire career in public life is now staked on this very high-stakes debate within the Labour Party about throwing his lot in with the Blairites. And if if it doesn't pay off, then he will go down in history as the Labour leader who sacrificed his values and everything else and let the Tories win an unprecedented fifth term.
0: listening to stories of our times a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of the times and the sunday times with me Manvin rana and my guest patrick maguire red box editor at the times if you're already a subscriber you can read patrick's latest article on whether jeremy corbyn will start a new party also the sunday times political editor caroline wheeler has done a sit-down interview with sakir starmer and as a subscriber you can read that online now at thetimes.co.uk. We've put links to both articles in the description notes of this podcast. The producer today was Will Rowe. The executive producer is Kate Ford. And sound design was by David Crackles. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.